So the rights that are given in copyright then, just to kind of elaborate a bit on the Copyright Act, um, a lot of people quite you know, often and rightly perhaps think that copyright is just to do with copying. That's the main right, obviously, the reproduction right. But there are other different types of rights under copyright, and quite often um, people will think that they're not infringing copyright when in fact they may well be. So um, one of the main ones, and actually this came out with the European directives, was uh, the communication to the public right. And that is any form of electronic communication with whether that's email, uploading, downloading, um, any of that sort of thing is the communication to the public right. So you may, you may as well be reproducing the, the image or the, the creative work as well by um, uploading it or by emailing it because it will create a copy in your computer's memory and all that sort of thing. Um, but it will also be the communication to the public rights. So there's all these different types of rights around um, copyright. These are the, the exclusive rights of the person who creates or authors the work. Now then, when it comes to digital and the web, there's a whole load of challenging issues um, in copyright, um, mostly because uh, technology develops a lot quicker than the law. Um, and, uh, and the other thing is that the last major EU copyright instrument uh, was actually adopted in 2001 based on proposals dated back to 1998. Um, there, there was uh, Neely Crows, who is uh, the vice president of the kind of digital agenda in Europe, uh, was talking about this in September at a, a summit. And, uh, and she said, she gave some examples, you know, in 1998, Mark Zuckerberg was 14. You know, now, you know, several thousand, billion, whatever million people are on Facebook and photos are shared and created and, and used and all that sort of thing. There wasn't any YouTube around then, for example. So all this sort of thing. Um, so, you know, this is what the, the EU Copyright Directive is based on. And just to give you a quick uh, overview of how the law works, the UK um, implemented um, or harmonised with the Europe in about 2003, um, so they adopted this, um, this copyright directive. And it now means that the UK is very much bound to what the EU is doing. So the EU will bring out different directives, um, which will come about kind of on a, on a fairly regular basis, and they are now, um, and we are bound to implement them into our law as well. And it also means that we have, um, we have to look to the European Court of Justice, um, who give uh, you know, decisions that come from... Uh, on copyright, for example, on copyright cases. So you'll see a lot of European, a uh, lot of UK cases get kind of directed to the European Court of Justice, uh, and then those decisions will bind our courts. So they're very important looking at court cases at, at the highest level in Europe. Anyway, so getting back to some of the challenges then, um, you've got all these different types. You've got things like formats, you know, now digital media is in so many different formats, and with, you know, as we've seen, format shifting is not currently allowed under UK law, so makes it very difficult, particularly for archivists who are trying to look after their film collections, um, not under law, not technically allowed to format shift. Um, archiving, ownership, streaming, all these different types of things, jurisdiction, the internet is a, a huge place crossing the whole world and yet copyright law is localised to different territories which is why there, there often comes some conflicts. Um, now the linking is a really interesting one because linking keeps coming up in various different court cases so I'm just going to give you a bit of a flavour of how confused people get <laughs> over linking. So the courts in various jurisdictions, they basically can't make up their mind as to the legality of linking to things on the internet. So in Canada, there was a recent case that ruled linking to, cop linking to infringing content didn't incur liability for the person or site doing the linking. Uh, in the US, there was another case that said that if you embedded an infringing video in your website, um, that wasn't copyright infringement. So that's quite interesting as well in terms of linking and embedding. However, in the Netherlands, linking to infringing content is an infringement of copyright, um, according to a, a case that came up recently, uh, earlier this year. Um, 
so all these different jurisdictions have all got different ideas of what linking to infringing content. Is it infringement? Is it not infringement? Not really sure. In the UK, um, so specifically for us, it's difficult because recent cases have really muddied the waters. Um, the courts basically have stopped short of saying that links themselves are infringements of copyright. Um, however, there was there's there's been this current case that's kind of ongoing of um, the student who. Um, who basically created this site called TV Shack. He didn't host any of the content on his website, but he linked out to lots of infringing content and um, his users were sort of vetted and they had to um, pay some money or got some money from advertising mm. and they were able to go and access all these different types of content. Um, now then, he's been found guilty of criminal copyright infringement um, and has asked to be, you know, the US basically are after him and they want him to be extradited to the US. And currently, um, the Secretary of State has approved his extradition um, but the case will probably be going to appeal, I would imagine, fairly soon. Yes? So, is the, I'm sorry, I'm just curious, is it illegal if the person committing the linking, or making the linking, uh, is in a specific country, or is it the, whether it's being hosted or served out from the country? It's, it's what the courts decide. Um, so the courts, depending on the jurisdiction that someone is upset with whoever it is so you know the case in the Netherlands would was a case between two Dutch companies um, and they and they went to court over this and and this is why the court found it you know they kind of weighed up the facts and said okay you know linking to infringing content in this instance is copyright infringement but in the US and Canada perhaps similar sets of facts but they've actually found that it wasn't so it depends very much on what the court the court says there's nothing in any of the copyright acts to say linking is linking to infringing content is an infringement of copyright so it's not in the legislation this will come purely out of the court cases um, and quite often the court cases will be based on the facts um, so the, I mean this is this particular one for the UK with Richard O'Dwyer um, the, the student is really interesting for me because what I would be concerned about would, would out of this appeal process would be for the courts to say linking to infringing content is an infringement of copyright and you would be liable for copyright infringement if you linked to an item on the internet that was infringing content whether you knew it, about it or not it would still be an infringement of copyright so that's my concern that that will come out of that case so you know it's one to definitely keep an eye on um, to see what happens. That mm. the US has ruled against that, so why are mm. they extraditing him when you've said they've already ruled <laughs> they have. that's in, not infringing? In, yes, that's right. Well, that's, that's in the US again. So he's being, he's being, he'll got appeal here in the UK um, to yes, find. Yes. The US, which has already ruled that it's not infringement. That's actually that's a very good point, yes. They, they may also have him on another charge, I think, conspiracy to defraud. Um, so okay, it's. Well, the US They'll get you for something else. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, so it will be interesting to see what basically what comes out of it. So, is the kind of I mean, is the kind of issue the court would consider? I mean, it sounds like he set up a website to make use of infringing content mm. almost deliberately. Yeah. Which is presumably viewed very differently from someone who happens to link to something. I think you're right. I think that it would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm 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 just kind of looking at it in the straight kind of black and white. Is it an infringement? Is it not an infringement? It's it, it basically the answer is well, it, it depends. At the moment, if you link to something that was infringing, it wouldn't technically be an infringement of copyright, um, you know, as as it stood, um, unless perhaps you know, I mean, if you're making money out of it, then possibly, you know, and certainly on a mass scale like he was, possibly. But at the moment, there's nothing in the act to say that that it would. So my advice to anybody who asks me is. 
if you think that it may be infringing, if you know, if you find the latest Bond film on YouTube and you want to link to that, it's probably best not to because that's likely to be a pirate copy. Um, so if you know, if, if it's deliberately infringing, if you're not really sure, then you're you know, at the moment there's no currently there's no liability in the UK for doing that. So yeah. But it's, you can see how all these issues are really complicated and it takes a while to kind of get your head around them. Okay, so that leads on then to, you know, with the law not being able to keep up necessarily with technology and with digital, um, there's a lot of fundamental practical problems that we face uh, as, as practitioners as trying to kind of, kind of navigate our way through this minefield. Um, the duration of copyright is one, as you've seen, it's 70 years from the death of the author. Um, in a digital world, this is a very, very long time um, where things kind of come and go very quickly, things are made, things are changed, um, things are mashed up, all that sort of thing. So it's actually very, it's very complicated and very long, um, but we can't get away from that kind of minimum duration. Uh, there's no format shifting. Um, some of the permitted acts are outdated for a digital age, um, and I'll come on to that shortly as well. Um, some are also limited to, to non-digital works. Um, and there's very much a blurred distinction between purchase content and licensed content. Um, things, that, uh, things that we think are ours on our, you know, when we download to our iPhone or to our Kindles um, are actually not. They're, they're licensed to us, so they're rented to us, rather than being our own actual copy that we would buy, for example, in a bookstore, a hard copy. And, uh, and that's quite an important distinction to make, and it's an important distinction to remember um, that we are only licensing that content um, because, um, you know, just, just the way that it is. Okay, so the consequences of copyright infringement then are wide and varied. As you know, um, there are court cases uh, or there are settlements out of court. Um, there can be quite big kind of business continuity issues with it as well. Um, certainly in this case, uh, earlier in the year, uh, back in October, Facebook um, decided to close down the site called The Cool Hunter. Now, the Cool Hunter was a site that, um, and certainly is still a website, but they don't have a Facebook page anymore. Uh, they, they pick up on um, interesting, I suppose, funky different designs, different things in fashion, um, travel, lifestyle, all that sort of thing. And they kind of, uh, it's very visual, so they post loads of images. Uh, now they got, uh, Facebook got a couple of complaints, um, takedown requests for various um, material that was on their Facebook page. Um, I assume they, they didn't heed any of those warnings, so they, they argue that Facebook didn't contact them, um, but Facebook just decided to pull the plug on it completely and it was a permanent delete. So they had 800,000 fans um, and it was just wiped in one day. So uh, social media sites are actually taking copyright infringement claims very seriously. Um, they are looking at, at new ways of implementing different things. Twitter has just become more transparent with its copyright infringement notification process. Um, YouTube, as you'll be aware, um, has quite a good um, content ID system, though it's not always brilliant, sometimes it's flawed, but I think they are working on that. Um, so they are very serious about copyright infringement, so you know, the sort of thing, it, it can and it does happen and it will probably happen with more increasing frequency. Slightly more sinister and slightly more serious was a case that went to court um, uh, again earlier in the year to do with a, a professional photographer took a uh, charity to court. Um, the charity was the Drug Abuse Resistance Education um, who provided um, education and, and training to people um, to make them more aware of, of drugs and, and drug abuse. Um, and what had happened was that the charity had hired a web design company uh, who'd created a couple of websites for them and they used some pictures or some images and photographs of drugs which they'd taken off of the government website. And, uh, and it, it turned out that these images, uh, they, they thought the images were crown copyright, they weren't, they were licensed to the government website for use by a professional photographer. So a professional photographer was um, 
well, upset. Um, he took them to court for about £28,500. Um, and the court ruled that even though, I mean, the, the, in, in the interim period, the web design company went bust, so they were no longer involved in it. Um, in the, the judge ruled that the charity, um, basically, sh- they, they knew, they didn't have a defence of innocent infringement because they knew that they're, they're, well, they thought that the images were crown copyright, so they knew that there was some kind of copyright in the images themselves. Um, and so, basically, they didn't have a defence, and they were asked to pay about £10,000 um, in compensation to the professional photographer, um, and as such, charity went out of business. Um, so, not, not a great moral story, um, but it does, you know, it was, a, it was a big win for the photographic community, who are kind of some of the most litigious people around in the UK, certainly. Um, so, it's just, it's just a stark warning that, you know, these things can and do happen, and... Even, even if you don't know, you've, you've really got to be careful. You really have to know where your images, um, if you're going to be using them in a business context or even a marketing, publicity, any of that kind of stuff, you really need to know where they come from um, to avoid ending up in court as these people did. I, I did find this mm. case very shocking because mm. I think they kind of didn't know and mm. thought they were a charity and they were using... I really found it extremely shocking yeah. and I really don't agree with the, the results of this. But, uh, yeah. No, no, I know, and it was, <laughs> it was the, uh, yeah. And because normally it would be like on this work in my you know, no. they were not thinking badly, yeah. they were not, you know, and yeah. I find this shocking. Yeah, it is, it, it's, um, I mean, you know, mor- morally and ethically, you do feel that it's kind of wrong, but you can, you can kind of see it from the professional photographer's point of view too, so it, it's actually very, it's very difficult to kind of marry up. I mean, I think it was a very steep punishment for the charity to have to pay that. Um, personally, but I'm, I wasn't the judge in the case, so I didn't make the, the decisions. But <laughs> so, what is the status of well, basically, your presentation, and I'm sure presentations all must mm. have done, where you've copied a page from a website and put it in a PowerPoint? What's the copyright status of that? Um, I, would, <laughs> I would say. Um, what my personal feeling of that is, is that you have copied, because a website is a, a kind of one large entity, as it were, with lots of pages. If you've just taken a screenshot and used it in your PowerPoint presentation, and obviously you're talking about it, um, then I think that that would, that would be fair dealing, personally, for probably for criticism review, using an insubstantial part. And I, I will be coming to that in a bit, so hold tight, hang fire, and uh, I'll get to that shortly. Um, so... Okay, so obviously under copyright, you know, if we had to ask permission from, for everything that we used uh, in our daily lives, um, that would just take forever. So um, the Copyright Act does actually allow us to do certain things, uh, which is great. So there are, there are various different things. There's about 52 different types of uh, defences or permitted acts in the Copyright Act. Um, not all of them are particularly useful, um, especially to us. Um, so I've just kind of highlighted the one, the main ones here that actually uh, may be useful. So there's certain special provisions for libraries and archives in terms of making copies for researchers um, and uh, preserving items. Now these are only relevant to works which are literary, dramatic <coughs> and musical works, I believe. I'm not sure that artistic works are even covered. So they don't cover any digital material, which is um, a problematic, as I said. Uh, acts done under statutory authority, if there's an Act of Parliament which says, um, basically, uh, it's basically telling you that if you, 
to fulfil this Act of Parliament or the, what this Act of Parliament is saying, then if it was to infringe copyrights, um, it, this Act of Parliament would effectively overrule the Copyright Act in this instance. So, for example, Freedom of Information Act is one that springs immediately to mind. If you get an FOI request and you need to send out information, um, which is, say, you know, say in, in covered in that is some literary works or artistic works, um, then in this particular instance, to, to fulfil the criteria of the FOI Act, you wouldn't be infringing copyright because copyright's already provided a way for that to kind of get through. Uh, education, instruction and fair dealing I'll come to in a minute. Um, the other one to mention is incidental inclusion, um, which is, you know, if you, if you include something uh, in a work effectively by accident, so if I took a picture of one of you standing in front of an artwork but the focus of the picture was you rather than the painting, um, then that would be incidental inclusion effectively. Okay, so education and teaching then. Um, these are the ones that I tend to get involved in the most, um, working at university. Um, there's three different types which are allowed for sort of teaching and training. So they're not these three are not limited to educational establishments per se. If you are teaching and training anywhere, um, de delivering any kind of um, coaching effectively, uh, then you can use these defences. So you've got things like copying extracts of works for use in teaching and training. Um, this would be great if it wasn't limited to non-rubrographic processes. Uh, what that means is uh, once upon a time when you could write on a blackboard, uh, you could actually have a book and you could copy out a diagram and write it on the board or copy a quote out from a book and whatever. Um, now that we use PowerPoint and various other types of presentation software, everything is done by means of a rubrographic process, which means it's this is so limited as to be practically useless. Um, and this is something that the government are now looking at in their um, the Hargreaves review, which uh, the Intellectual Property Office should be bringing out the next phase of their response to the consultation, and that will include educational exceptions, and we'll look at these types of things, but we're really lobbying hard for a change in the law to this particular area, because at the moment it's completely useless, and it doesn't reflect teaching practice as, as of today. Um, making copies of film sound recordings broadcast when providing instruction in filmmaking. Again, <coughs> limited to providing instruction in filmmaking, but you can do this. Um, anything done for the purposes of examination. This is a really useful defence, personally. Um, I, well, certainly I find. Um, examination covers all forms of assessment, um, so essays, um, assessed work, uh, quizzes, for example, on your virtual learning environment, um, any of that sort of thing. Um, the only thing that excludes is photocopying music for performance, so any kind of associated board exams. So that's a really useful defence, and that's certainly one that um, I would use um, quite heavily because it does allow quite a lot. Did you just say for the purpose of essay writing as well? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, any any work which is going to be assessed for the purpose of the purposes of, of assessment and examination, effectively. Uh, four and five are limited to educational establishments only. Um, so that's film, sound recordings and broadcasts may be shown to staff and students on the premises for instruction. So no public access, but if you're teaching a lecture and you want to show a film clip or a broadcast clip um, or a clip of a sound recording, then you can do so without the need for a licence. Um, there is a company, a uh, collecting society, who's going around to universities at the moment who is asking or basically telling us that we need a licence for this type of activity. Um, that's wrong. Um, this, is, this activity is covered under the Copyright Act in the UK. Um, so, you know, we've just kind of battered it away and said, no, we don't need a licence. We've got this Section 34 defence. So. So that's that. Uh, recording of broadcasts, um, this is fairly limited as well because it's subject to licensing schemes. So most universities have uh, an educational recording agency licence which allows us to make broadcasts uh, or recordings of broadcasts and use them in teaching and learning. So. 
So that is education and teaching. Um, let's move on to fair dealing. Fair dealing is quite a tricky concept to get your head around. And again, this is one which it benefits to know a bit about case law because this is the only way that it's defined. Um, the first thing first is it's not to be confused with fair use. Fair use is under the US Copyright Act um, and fair use is, is slightly more broad than fair dealing. Fair dealing is, is fairly, it's a fairly narrow defence, um, but it's still useful. So it's limited to three types of activity. That's non-commercial research and private study, uh, criticism and review, and reporting of current events. Um, now, it's limited, as I've said. So non the first one, non-commercial research, <coughs> is limited to the type of work. So it doesn't include any audiovisual works, but it does include, does include unpublished works. <coughs> so, but no, no digital stuff, no audiovisual. Criticism and review is much better. Um, it includes all types of work. Uh, but not unpublished work. So it's all types of published work you can use in, under the Defence for Criticism and Review. Uh, and news reporting is everything apart from photographs, and obviously it's got to be limited to current, a current event, so it's, it effectively helps newspaper reporters and journalists. So, fair dealing. Um, as I've said, it's not defined, so how do we know what's fair? Um, the Copyright Act just says fair dealing for the purposes of non-commercial research. That's great, but what's what's fair? Dealing is effectively dealing with the work. So if you're doing anything at all with the work, copying it or whatever, um, that's effectively dealing with the work. But judging what's fair is more difficult. So out of various court cases have uh, come kind of these different types of criteria. What the judge will look at in a court case is um, what type of work have you used? Have you used something that, and how have you come about it? You know, did you find a, a, a kind of a private letter just sort of lying around and have you reproduced that? And perhaps, it, I mean, it may be more than just copyright, but there may be, um, you know, an infringement there. And that may be less likely to be seen as fair than if it's a published text which is available, um, you know, I don't know, across, across different stores. Um, how much of the material is being used and how important is it to the work as a whole? So if you, again, if you want to use a defence of fair dealing, you've got to think about quantity and quality of the work. So um, if you're using, I don't know, 100 words of a um, 10,000 word book, that's more likely to be fair because it all comes down to substantiality. How much are you using? What, what is substantial? Um, if you're using uh, 90 words of a 100 word article, that wouldn't, probably wouldn't be fair because you're using quite a lot. How important is it to the work as a whole? Um, so if you're reproducing the bits, the kind of central issue, um, it's very difficult to define, but what I use is um, if you are um, writing about a murder mystery and you reproduce the kind of the quotation from the last paragraph which said, who did it? I mean, that would be kind of the most important part of the work because that's kind of central and that might make people think, well, now I don't need to buy it and I don't need to read it because I've already read that, so I already know. So it's effectively like a spoiler. Interestingly, when it comes down to quantity, um, there was a court case in the European Court of Justice about two years ago, which really kind of rattled the world of uh, fair dealing, and that's the InfoPAC case. Um, and basically what, what happened there was uh, a media monitoring organisation had, um, had, kind of, had private clients who wanted uh, information about their business or their company. Um, it wanted to know when the name came up in different papers, um, and so what it did was it did a, a kind of a scraping search across the web for its ne this, their, their clients' names, uh, and they reproduced uh, five words either side of the, the one word, the, the company word, 
and they sent them a, a sort of daily digest an email of these different things with a link so that it, they could click on the link and go to the paper if they wanted to um, now this went to, to court and it went all the way up to the European Court of Justice so it was a Danish case um, and the judge found that um, these 11 words that they were reproducing were a substantial part of the literary work so the newspaper article that was being reproduced um, because it was the element of the work that, that was expressed was at the author's own intellectual creation. Now, whether you agree with this or not, I mean, personally, I find it's quite, it's quite crazy because now all our courts are bound by this decision. So any future copyright cases that come up where somebody's trying to plead fair dealing, um, you'll probably see this case kind of get wheeled out and say, well, 11 words of this was a you know, substantial part. The way that I see it is it, it's also judged on the facts. So a newspaper article probably is quite short. Um, if you're using, if you're copying from a book, that's going to be much longer. So it may be that that is not a, not known as a substantial part. Um, but it's just something to bear in mind because before this case, you had the Publishers Association coming out with well, 300 words of a book and 100 words of a journal article. That's that's effectively fine. We're, we're okay with that. They pulled all of that advice um, after this case. So you know, just just be aware that that this does exist. Um, so it's just a little a little word of little note for you there. Um, and thirdly, which is the one also that the judge looks at as well, um, is the publisher or creator losing out financially by making these copies? So are you effectively substituting your work um, with, you know, by, well, you're, you're using your work as a, as a substitution for the actual uh, work that you've copied, the original work? So those are kind of the three criteria that the judge will, will look at in a, in a case of fair dealing. And that's the way I like, to, I like to approach fair dealing. I like to think, well, if I was in court, this is a defence. So somebody would say, well, you've infringed my copyright, so I've got to think, well, how do I build a defence then? Uh, and these are the things that I would go through. It's like, well, if I can justify this, then it's likely to be fair. If I feel like I can stand up and argue it in court, then I think that's probably going to be OK. OK, moving on then. Um, looking at requesting permission to use copyright material. Um, the key thing about permission and being, permission being granted is that it must always be in writing. Um, it can't be verbal um, because then you have no record of the contract anyway. Um, so it's, it's got to be in writing. Um, and that can be an email, uh, any kind of literary co correspondence effectively. Um, I'm going to get on to um, crediting a bit later on. Um, if you're going to archives, um, quite often specialist archives may be holding collections, um, and you probably already know this anyway, and they may not always be able to give you copyright permission, they may t tell you to go back to the estate if they can't fulfil the criteria, but it's always worth asking them to see uh, what they say. Be aware as well that acquiring permission may take time. Um, quite often people don't understand that, certain, certainly if you're talking to literary estates and people like that, it may take a bit more time than um, if you're just contacting someone. The nice thing about today is that you've got so many different avenues. Um, so if I want to use something, um, I might email somebody on Flickr or tweet at somebody or send somebody a, a message in YouTube and actually they get back to me quite quickly, which is really good. Um, the key thing here as well is that no response does not equal permission. If you don't get a response, that doesn't mean that you can use it. And just be very careful because there are people out there who you might ask and then they might not respond. And I've heard this actually as a, as a case. Um, and then you go ahead and use it and then they send you an email with an invoice and say, well, I didn't tell you that you could use that, so please pay me some money now. Um, there are, I like to think that most people out there are quite nice, um, but unfortunately uh, there will be people out there who will probably be sort of lying in wait for that sort of thing to happen. So just, just be very aware of that. 
Uh, in terms of your own publications that you're writing, if you're writing an article for a journal, for example, the likelihood is that the publisher will ask you to assign the copyright to them. Um, this is obviously fairly, well, it's a topic of dispute in the academic community, um, and uh, you know, mostly because the, the large journal publishers are taking uh, academics' work and then selling it back to the universities for a vast sum of money. Um, so there are some, some issues around this and obviously with the whole open access route as well. There's lots of, lots of discussions going on about this. Um, some journals may well say that you can have a licence instead. Um, it's always worth trying to negotiate with your, your publisher or your journal if you can. Um, I, have, I haven't had any experience in this um, area, so this is just what I, I hear from talking to various different academics. Um, yeah, and generally have a conversation around copyright. So we had an issue um, where uh, one of our lecturers um, wrote a book and he wanted to use it in his teaching, but the publisher had not granted him the permission to use it in his teaching. So, um, and when we tried to get a response from the publisher, uh, they kind of said, well, we'll overlook it this once. And we said, well, can you not waive that? And they said, oh, no, no, we can't do that. So just be aware, you know, if you want to use it in your teaching, make sure that you tell them that that's what you want and that's one of the rights that you really want to have, um, because they can be, I mean, this was business, I mean, it's, and it's certainly in, in business and management, it's, a, it's quite a big area too, but uh, just, just be wary of that. Learn from our lessons. <laughs> um, going on to licensing then, so that was all the stuff that you could do under the law. Um, licenses, generally what they will do is allow you to do more than what the Copyright Act permits. Not always, but most of the time. Um, and we have various collective um, rights societies in the UK which will allow licensing of various different activities. So things like photocopying and scanning, extracts from books or journals or magazines, um, that's all covered by the Copyright Licensing Agency. Um, copying for and distributing from newspapers, newspaper licensing agency, um, as we've seen, ERA, ERA Plus um, for broadcasts in education. Um, music is all heavily licensed as well, so you've got the uh, Performing Rights Society and um, PPL, whose uh, name abbreviation escapes me, um, but they license um, sort of music, playing music, yes. So, quick, yeah. does licensing, a license supersede copyright? Um, <coughs> Not always, but it can do. So something else in the UK as well is that at the moment contract is effectively a higher form of law than copyright. So a contract could in theory override the statutory um, defences that we're allowed in copyright. So it's, it's worth bearing that in mind um, when you're looking at a contract. If it says um, this doesn't affect your, the statutory rights which are given under the CDPA, da da da. So the CLA's licence is actually very good. They have a clause in there which says none, nothing in this licence overrides the exceptions. However, there are licences which come from other areas, unfortunately, quite a lot which come from the US, um, which tend to. Uh, which, which can restrict um, what, what is allowed under, under copyright. Um, so we haven't had a formal case involving this, but it's something else that the government is looking at going forward. Should we have something in our Copyright Act which says contracts can't supersede um, you know, the, the um, defences in copyright? Okay, um, showing films and TV programmes. Um, you've got things, uh, you've got Film Bank and such in education. Um, you've got Design and Artist Copyright Society for um, artistic works, if you're reproducing artistic works for commercial purposes, um, and using music and podcasts and webcasts and things as a licence for that too. So these, all types, these are all types of activities which there is currently a licence for. Um, on the other hand, there are no collecting societies which will give you a licence for using film clips on your virtual learning environment. Um, and this is something that I 
I discovered and not, I don't think it's that great to be honest um, because we really wanted to put some film clips into our virtual learning environment to allow uh, students um, at one of our uh, overseas campuses to effectively we're teaching kind of distance learning and it was to give them an idea of what good and bad teaching practice was about um, and when I looked into this I mean he was using everything from kind of uh, kind of the latest blockbuster films down to kind of more obscure kind of Iranian films um, and there was just no way we were going to be able to contact the rights holders for all those films so I said to him that I just don't think we can do it I just don't think that you know we could perhaps we could do it under criticism or review um, but it would be it would be very difficult to you know, decide on, on how to do that. So that's something that I find quite frustrating, actually, um, in the UK with with that. So, but anyway, so we'll see. Yeah. The CID license, the journals and magazines. Is it just British magazines, or is it? No, they have a whole um, international repertoire, so they do cover quite a lot. It's growing. It's growing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you can go and have a look at their website if you want to, just to see what's included in their international um, provision. So. Okay, other types of licence, um, which aren't collective licences, are um, Creative Commons, um, which I'll come on to in a bit. Um, the Open Government Licence, um, which is developed by the National Archives, is for Crown copyright material. And a Crown copyright material, if it's been published, uh, lasts for about 50 years. If it hasn't been published, it lasts for about 125 years. Um, so this is anything created by officers or agents of the Crown. Um, now, the Open Government Licence will allow you to do anything with the work, including commercial, non-commercial. You can, you can mash it up, you can change it. You can do whatever you like with, with work that is licensed on the Open Government Licence Scheme, um, as long as you give attribution of effectively a link back to the source and a link to the licence. Um, there's more information on the National Archives website. Not all Crown copyright material will be licensed on the Open Government Licence Scheme, so just check to make sure that it is first. Um, and then the, you've got open source with software and software co and source code, um, which obviously software has kind of had its own uh, had its own evolution really, um, and it's much more where developers have created something and then want to allow other people to be able to work on that and build on it. And it's very much kind of it's it's more of an open society than I'd say probably any other type of copyright work because software is is considered a literary work. Okay, different types of Creative Commons licences. Um, these are probably the four main ones. So you've got the CC BY licence, which is um, attribution only. So it means you can use the work anywhere you want to, as long as you give the author or the, the person who created it attribution. Um, then you've got the non-commercial, which is likely to say that it will be a CC BY NC, which will mean that you have to attribute the author and use it non-commercially, so you can't use it for any commercial purposes. Uh, no derivative works, so if you see uh, a, a something that's been licensed CC by ND, um, you'd be able to use it commercially, but you wouldn't be able to make any derivatives of that work, so you can't make uh, you know, a kind of an adaptation of it effectively. Uh, and share alike, um, which comes with its own set of problems, I think, personally, but you can, you, you can create a derivative work under the licence as long as you share it under the same licence, so you'd have to release your work under a share alike licence as well. Uh, and there's also a public domain licence, uh, which is more generic, which is a CC0 or a CCPD, and a lot of works on Wikipedia and Wikimedia often come up with um, with a CC um, public domain licence. Uh, where to find this type of material? Um, well, Creative Commons themselves actually have uh, a search tool uh, on the Creative Commons site. Um, you can also find it by um, looking at the advanced search tab on Google or Yahoo or Flickr. Um, there's also quite a good site that I found um, when I was doing some research because I gave a talk to some students earlier in the term um, called SitePoint, which has got 30 different types of Creative Commons sources, text, audio, video, video and images. 
Um, and then just digital media as well is a, is a great site for information about where to find um, CC licensed images as well. Um, now, something people ask me quite frequently is how do I attribute uh, a Creative Commons licensed image? Well, the University of Nottingham actually did um, some really good work. I think they had a GISC funded project um, which allowed them to create this tool called Expert, um, the next. Uh, and, uh, and you can go to that and you can search uh, photos, videos, and audio. Um, and it will certainly in the images, I haven't tried any other searches, but you can type in, you can search for what you're looking for, and it will give you a little kind of drop down box. How would you like to use this? Do you want to embed it in PowerPoint? Do you want to embed it on a website? Do you want to download the original? And what it'll do is it will give you, um, it'll give you the image, but it will give you this little black line underneath it which will tell you what the license is. Um, and who's created it, when you got it, and what the source is as well. So that's a really useful tool actually if you just want kind of a quick attribution, you don't want to kind of faff around with putting in a little kind of caption underneath the photo or anything like that. Um, so that's quite good. Uh, there's also a code generator for crediting Flickr images in particular. So if you're if you're doing web stuff, um, websites, blogs, all that sort of thing, you can have your Flickr. If you if you get your image from Flickr and you click on the link, you copy the link and you paste it into this uh, image coder. Um, it will give you uh, kind of a, the image with attribution as well included in it. So that's also quite useful if you're doing purely digital stuff. I think my slides will be available, so don't worry if you can't can't keep up with scribbling. Um, when it comes to non-Creative Commons licensed content, um, if some people will specify how, you want, how they want to be credited, so some pub publishers will specify how they want to be credited. Um, I, um, I had to get accreditation from Oxford Uni University Press for uh, reproducing a hymn uh, over the summer, so I um, <coughs> asked them and they said, we specifically want this credit. And obviously it's, it's really long, so I had to make it a little bit small. But um, <laughs> but anyway, so that's uh, that's basically um, how they want how they wanted the credit. They wanted it exactly like that. So I was like, fine, that that's okay. I can do that. Um, if you're dealing with individuals, a lot of people say, well, oh, that's great, fantastic, use my work. That's that's you know, I'd love that. I'd love that. Um, but they don't give you any indication of how they should be credited. So. I mean, there's no set format of how to how you use attributes. Um, the best thing to do is try and include um, their either their name or their pseudonym. Um, just say something like "used with permission" or "used by kind permission of." Um, I, here, I've put what the photograph was actually of, um, and then a link to the source, and that's really useful as well. So, so those are kind of the key things. As long as you've got the author in there um, and the and a link to the to the source, then I think that's probably okay. Quite often images can have a link embedded in them as well, which is effectively the same as attribution. Okay. Uh, what not to do, um, and unfortunately some of, some of the papers fall foul of this, um, um, some of the big newspapers, um, is to find an image via Google search function and use the credit Google Images. You'll quite often see images um, copyright Twitter or copyright Facebook. No, that's all very wrong. Um, and photographers get very upset about this sort of thing. So. Um, don't do that. <laughs> you know, the one thing, that what, what you need to do is, is uh, attribute the author uh, or the photographer. So when somebody takes a photo, it's the photographer who owns the, the copyright in the first instance. Um, if they're working for an employer, it would be their employee, uh, be their employer rather. Uh, don't use an image with a watermark. Um, that's just asking for trouble because it's likely to be um, invisibly meta-tagged um, and they'll come knocking on your door with an invoice. So suggest you steer clear of images with watermarks. Always get a, an appropriate license to use. Uh, images. Um, and don't use Creative Commons licensed material without attributing the author either. It's a, it's a criteria of the license, so you have to attribute the author. 
Um, and something that I came across today, um, oh no, I've got that on my next slide, so sorry. So, so just to kind of wrap up then, um, some practical tips. Um, just be careful when using images, and I'll come to that in a second. Um, attribution I've talked about, if you're accused of copyright infringement, so if you do get a letter through to say, you've copied my image, you know, I'm very upset about this, I want compensation, whatever. Um, make sure that you take down the item in question immediately. Um, copyright is, is different to some other types. And uh, if you're um, monitoring a forum or, or you know, or you're, you're, you kind of set up a forum for people to discuss, if somebody says something, for example, something defamatory on that forum, um, the, then there are certain things within the EU law which will which will give you some kind of immunity if you don't interfere. Um, so if you're not monitoring something, you just kind of let it to, to do its own thing. Um, in terms of copyright infringement, we've got, we don't have that sort of immunity. It's not that kind of defence. So you have to take it down straight away um, and just investigate the claim. Just check and make sure that what they're, what they're telling you is correct. Make sure that they're, they're the author. Have they got a valid case? Um, Apologise. Obviously, they may want some kind of conversation. I'll just give you a quick anecdote of what happened at Reading. Um, was that we had set up, uh, an academic had set up um, a web space on our server and had asked students to create uh, websites as part of their examination assessment process. Um, so the students all put up their, their websites, um, which was great. Uh, and then unfortunately the academic didn't take them down, uh, so they stayed up there. And one of the students had used an image uh, from Getty without licensing it appropriately. And uh, so Getty sent us an invoice and said, you know, you've used this image, it's on your website, and you haven't licensed it from us. Uh, so we sort of, you know, department in question came to me and said, what do we do? So I said, well, we can write, you know, a, an apology letter saying, we're really sorry, we've wiped the cash, we've taken it down, we've done everything we can. Because that's the other thing with, with digital is you've got to remember how many times it's backed up and across the university, it's quite a lot of times. Um, and I just said, well, let, you know, if they, if they come back and they say, well, we want you to pay, we don't have a leg to stand on, you know, it's... It's just one of those things we can't plead innocent infringement. It's just it just happened. Fortunately, though, the begging letter worked, and they haven't come back yet. So it was about three years ago. So fingers crossed they stay away. Um, just one uh, amusing thing to finish. Um, again, being like coming back to being careful when using images. Um, I came across this on on Twitter today, and it did make me laugh. Um, where media journalists have just gone trawling Google images for search looking for things and uh, in this case this was um, May 2011 a German news channel ran a story about SEAL Team 6 which was the team that took out Osama Bin Laden um, and they'd used this logo unfortunately for them um, the logo isn't the SEAL Team 6 logo um, because it's it's a logo that was created um, by some uh, by an online Star Trek group so it's actually a, it's actually a Klingon skull with Klingon weapons <laughs> um, so I have to say I did have a bit of a laugh but he said basically the moral of the story is don't don't take images from a Google search without doing your homework first. Um, and carefully look over any image you're putting into your paper or you're on your TV screen or computer screen. So better for you to catch something embarrassing than for a few thousand readers or viewers to see it. So that's slightly off topic of copyright, but I thought that's actually quite, quite interesting and it did make me laugh. Anyway, so that's it, really. Um, just a bit of information. Uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, I'm on Twitter. I've got a blog, um, Copyright for Education, which I must update, um, but I've just been really busy, so I haven't had a chance to. But generally there, I'll talk about copyright and, and any kind of education issues. So anything that comes out of the government, um, so, so I, I think it's supposed to be before Christmas. Hopefully I'll be able to blog about that and um, just keep you in the loop, really.